You're listening to the Restoration Church Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and deep calling to deep. Today's message is brought to you by Lead Pastor Kim Foreman. That alabaster box. Touches my heart every time. I don't care how old it is. Oh my goodness. But you know, the name of the sermon, as you know, is that the alabaster box must be broken. And you know, <clears throat> spikenard was the perfume back in the Bible days. And if the alabaster box is not broken, the pure spikenard can't flow forth. Many are still treasuring the alabaster box, believing it's of value, but it's actually the oil that exceeds the worth. Many think that the outward man is more precious than the inward man. This is not truth. This is the problem in the church. The body will treasure intellect, will treasure that thinking that, you know, if you're intelligent, that's wonderful. We also put a high price on if you're real compassionate or you're emotional. Um, And sometimes things are highly regarded like um, that you think maybe you're better than other people, or that you are more eloquent in your speech, or maybe you have natural abilities, maybe you're athletic. All these things that we put such a high price on, but like what you heard on this, does that really bring the anointing? Truth is, we should not be vase admirers, but those who desire to smell only the fragrance of the oil. So the real treasure is in the vessel, But if it's not broken, who can see the treasure within? We all suffer. Every one of us have suffered. One event after another. Especially here in Southeast Texas, most of us can tell you many stories about the hurricanes we've endured. But the Holy Spirit is continually working. Each disciplinary working of the Holy Spirit has but one purpose, and that purpose is to break the outer man to release the inner man. Brokenness is the way of blessing. It's a way of fragrance. It's a way of fruitfulness. But it is also a path sprinkled by blood, your blood, the blood of wounding. You know, pick up your cross daily. There's a whole lot more to that scripture than many of us know. But some have a strong will. I have a strong will. I've had to go through a lot of breaking and God is still dealing with me and breaking my will. Some have strong emotions. Some have a strong intellect. Why, after so many years, so many people are unchanged? Many live in darkness. They live in unbelief. They do not see the hand of God. While God is working, they're believing that they don't even recognize him. They see it as uh, it's man against them. They're devoid of the light. They see only that they're being opposed, that this is the way of life. This is circumstance. This is happenstance. And they continue in their darkness. They continue in their despair. But as people of God, we have to have that Hebrew mindset. I say that over and over. We have to believe that God is in all things and that there's a God filter. And whatever touches your life has to come through God's hands. If you belong to him and he's your Abba Father, then everything that touches your life, what you have to ask is why have you allowed this? What are you trying to teach me through this? What after this trial that I've gone through, what are you going to release in me and what are you going to break off of me so that I can be and reflect more of you? And that's really what it's about. It's about releasing the oil. Another great hindrance to the work of breaking the outer man is selfishness. We all battle with being selfish. We all battle with self-love of putting ourselves above others. We need to surrender our hearts and ask if this is from your hand. Every time we have a trial and trial, is this from your hand? Of course, there's times we need to do warfare. Sometimes it's the enemy. And we need to stand up and say, not on my watch, devil, and get him out. But sometimes things are allowed, and we have to say, okay, Lord, is this from your hand? And again, we have to remember, you work all things out for good. If I'm loving him and in him, then whatever's happening, he's going to work it out for my good. I don't care if the thieves come in to steal. He's going to have to repay me a hundredfold. And so I don't know, like even all of the things that we've lost in hurricanes. And I can't tell you how many times that through that, of course God worked humility. But a lot of times what we had afterwards was so much better than what we had before. But was it hell getting it? Yes. But what did it work in us? How many times have we held on to material things? Probably far more than what we should have. 
So, and oftentimes, again, you know, we blame. It's not my family's fault. It's not my brother's fault. It's not my sister's fault. It's not the church's fault. There's something this is to teach me and something God is wanting to break off of me. And so the, 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 the more wiser we become, okay, Lord, I don't want to go around this mountain again. Or, oh, God, don't let this be a long season. What Can you show me pretty quick so I don't have to endure too long? And we see, you know, uh, but there is no one more beautiful than one who is broken. We see Jacob in the Old Testament, how even in Rebekah's womb, he struggled with his twin brother. They wrestled even in the womb. He was tr tricky. He was deceitful. He, he meant soup planner. So he was a trickster. Yet his life was full of sorrow and grief. Even as a youth, he fled from his home. For 20 years, he was cheated by Laban, his uncle, and his father-in-law and the wife of his heart's love Rachel died prematurely the son of his love Joseph is sold into slavery years later Benjamin's detained in Egypt he was successfully dealt with God with meeting misfortune after misfortune he was stricken by God once twice indeed his whole history he was stricken by God but what happened in the end his name changed from Jacob to Israel and then in his last days, he was quite transparent. And then what do we see? He worshiped God on his staff. How clear were his blessings to his descendants. And here was one who was matured, who knew his God, and several decades of dealing had resulted in Jacob's outward man being broken, and his old age was a beautiful fragrance of what God had done. We can see much also in the patriarchs, whether it's Joseph in preparation to be second in Egypt. We can see it in Moses in Israel in how many years. We can see it also King David with Saul's relentless pursuit to kill him. You know, that was allowed because running from Saul produced great character in David. And it surely bonded him to his, his mighty men, don't you think? And then Apostle Paul, I mean, he wrote his best works in prison. And then we got sweet John, the revelator, boiled in oil. So the list goes on and on and on. So to die we live. Again, it's the opposite kingdom. I've said that, the backwards kingdom compared to our earthly kingdom. I'm teaching this because as people of God, deep calling to deep. We need to have understanding, we need to have revelation, and we need to rightly discern in this hour, in this season. And we live in a time, again, I said it last week, I'll say it again, in great deception. And yet, we live in a time of the greatest revelation of all. We live in a time of great revelation. So in order for us to rightly discern, we must understand what is the kingdom of heaven versus what is the kingdom of man and what is Satan's counterfeit strategies. And he's a master strategist. Or we could be the very elect. And what did I say last week? What are the very elect? They're the chosen. They're the ones who love God. The very elect can be deceived. I don't want to be deceived. And again, my people perish for lack of knowledge. So we need to be knowledgeable. We need to study to show ourselves approved. Sometimes things are confusing. Sometimes we don't understand. And remember, confusion means Babel, Babylon. So what do we do? If we just get confused, we just kind of just go on and, and don't even want to go there. But we need to stay in it. And we need to get clarity. And there's some things, there's misconceptions in the body of Christ that we need solid teachings. We need clarity in some areas so that we can discern correctly. Um, we need tools. We need tools. That's all there is to it because Satan loves it when we're ignorant. That's one of his playing fields. So too often we just give up. So God wants us to be equipped in this hour to rightly discern, to divide, and know what's real, what's false, what's spirit, what's soul, what's flesh, what's the devil, what, what is the outward man. And again, our, our personalities is our mind, our will, and our intellect. It's a beautiful thing. And what does our soul only go to heaven and hell? Our soul is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But it also can really war against our spirit. Um, and we're unique. There's not another Bob. There's not another Andy. There's not another. There's no snowflakes that are alike. There's not another person that's like you. God has made us all diversified. But our soul either goes to, again. Um, our soul in this, is this place that Satan works the hardest against. And, um, and what he does is when we're little, again, small children, 
He will get us to come into agreements to create strongholds. And you know, I've taught on the high places. If he can get our mind to get ungodly beliefs, if we can believe a lie for truth, he begins his whole work inside of us, to us, so that he can begin to, first off with stinking thinking, telling you you're no good. You know, misinterpreting things as children when we get wounded. I'll never be good enough. You know, I wish I could be like my big brother. I made mommy mad. All these things was his playing ground where we begin to agree with him either that we're not good enough or we can also be in pride like you are so superior. You know, it's going to go either way. You're going to feel like you're worthless or you're going to think you're hot stuff. So, you know, there's always that playing field. And so once you get set that high-minded and those strongholds built in our mind, then he begins to work on our emotions and he causes events to line up with what he's spoken. Like, I'm not worth anything. And then you're dealing with bullies on the playground or you're going to preschool and people are, oh, I don't like her. You know, all those ways that it reinforces all those emotional beliefs too. And then what's he after? He's really after to eventually affect you to such a part to where he can, again, afflict your body. If he can afflict your body in pain and sickness, that's a major place that he can play against your flesh. So... He's a master imitator at how to use us in our soul and abuse us so that he can wound our spirit. I want to tell you he's after your spirit. That's what he's after. And when I'm talking today, I'm talking about your spirit is, is really the alabaster box of the breaking. The alabaster box is your soul. And so I want to really hit some of these things really hard because it's the only way we're going to be able to discern what is soul and what is spirit. Um, because our spirit, again, brings life. It's our spirit that's light. It's our spirit that is connected to God, where we feel God, where we hear God, where we move by God. And I want you to know it holds the essence of God. And one of the things that happened to Satan and his cohorts when they got thrown down is they longed to feel the essence of God because it's life. They are in total darkness. And so when they are able to attack or wound our spirit. They want that light. They want to feel that essence again. They have forever lost what they had. And then we're a constant reminder. And then we have forgiveness, eternal forgiveness, something they will never have. So Satan works extremely hard to build up his kingdom and within us and make our soul. What does he want to do? He wants to make our soul king, our flesh king, and then our spirit is what a slave. You've heard me say it. Our spirit is like an Ethiopian starving to death encased by this strong soul so if you've got a strong mind if you've got a strong will i mean sometimes our spirit is just like oh just just existing that's why it's so important that we're in the word it's so important that we're in prayer because we have to build up our spirit we have to uh, have time in worship in prayer being like-minded with other people in the faith so that then we can build each other up so that our spirit becomes strong because listen we live in the babylon i don't know if y'all feel that way I, I live in babylon Everything in our culture is demonic. All the movies on TV are demonic. I mean, we're constantly fighting against the culture and against Satan's kingdom just out there all around us, everywhere we go, everywhere we go. So, but one of the problems with the body of Christ is they don't know the difference between the spirit and the soul. They think they're the same. So Satan seeks to defile what God wants to bring forth in purity. Our spirit, our human spirit, is again the very breath of God. It's a part of God. So when, you know, again, Adam, when he created Adam, it was the Ruach, breath of God, that made Adam a living soul. So it was the spirit. Proverbs 18, 14 says that a man's spirit will sustain him in sickness. Who can bear a broken spirit? I want you to know if you're battling sickness, there's going to be a wound to your spirit. I'm not saying it started there. I'm sure he buffeted you in your soul, but you've got to go back because if your spirit's broken, that's how sickness comes in. And there's wounding to the spirit that's not in the soul. And places like abandonment. Abandonment hit the spirit. What does abandonment do? It steals you of your identity. Does Satan want you to not know your identity and who, how God created you? Of course, so abandonment lands in the spirit. Uh, disappointment lands in the spirit because when you're disappointed when promises are broken you begin to where you can't trust man and then you can't trust god and if you can't trust your parents let's say you grow up in a broken home where your parents didn't honor their word then you begin to believe that god won't honor his word so disappointment can land in the spirit also betrayal betrayal is is a condition of the spirit 
Grief is a condition of the spirit. That's why you got to be careful not to get so far over into grief that your spirit becomes so broken that the enemy can come in and you can die an early death. Um, sexual abuse happens with the spirit. Defilement. Satan's after defiling your spirit. Um, shame is in the spirit. Shame wraps your spirit in a shroud, like a death shroud. So, so Satan is trying to build a stronghold in your soul. He wants a fortress for himself and his demons to minimize your spirit because the real power is in your spirit. So he works endlessly to get you agree with all the ways he has cursed you. He's told you again that you weren't worth anything. You made, uh, make judgments that you're either superior um, and then what happens? You become a stiff-necked people. Satan is an expert at using soulish power. There's a book by Watchman Nee called The Latent Power of the Soul. That is the area that Satan uses the greatest. And I'm going to kind of really hit that in just a minute. Many people think that the soul and the soulish power is the anointing. This is deception. This is a serious situation that people will mistake soulish power for the anointing. We can feel things like goosebumps when the parade's going down the street or we're in a stadium and they're playing the national anthem, our heroes stand up, and we'll think that's the anointing. Guys, that's soulish power. I'm telling you, I've learned this the hard way. I don't know if you've ever been in a service where, you know, there's a lot of emotionalism and then you'll be sitting there and that happened to me. I was in this big production in, in a church in Beaumont and I think I've shared this before, but I'm going to share it again. And um, they were doing a big intercessory. They were taking the west gate of the city and they had the pageantry and the flags and everything was choreographed and it was in, and I'm sitting there and I'm looking around at this crowd of people and I'm thinking, Lord, I don't feel this. I'm not feeling anything, and I was beating myself up. I, if I had a nickel for every time I beat myself up when I couldn't feel anything, and then I had a friend that was sitting down, and she tugged on my arm. She said, I just can't work it up. <laughs> when she said that, I was like, oh, thank you, God. I sat down, and I realized that this was all soul. You know, again, you can hear a charismatic speaker that is going to give you a self-help, and I promise you, you'll feel pumped up. Man, I got some tools. But you'll walk out of there. You may not remember anything unless you wrote it down. You know, psychology is about the soul, and we need soul help. I'm not telling you that we don't need good tools. But I want to tell you, it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. When God gives you a revelation, you don't forget it. It's imprinted. It's spirit to spirit. You have a revelation. And, um, I mean, Bob and I have been in places, and I'm not going to, and don't you say a word about this because I'm not going to tell the rest of the story. But, you know, we've gone into some churches where it's all emotionalism. We had one where they were doing um, offertory. And, I mean, it was like something you've never seen before, you know, like an auction. You know, who's going to give a 1000 And, I mean, they were like, and, and then, you know, I mean, they were really being intimidated. You know, okay, I know you got it. And now I want to meet this goal. And I mean, people would finally write checks and, and do things. And, and then, of course, in the, that service, and this was in our early years, um, then they were given, I would call it psychic soul reading because it wasn't really prophecy. But, you know, they gave me a word, and it's like, run, Kim, run. And so I took off running. <laughs> Now, that was a soulless, there was no anointing on that. I am just going to tell you. But some of this stuff that we pass off in the church is soul. It is not spirit. I'm going to tell you, when the Holy Ghost shows up, you know it's the Holy Spirit. Um, no, anyway, don't you say a word. Okay, so I want to talk about revelation. Revelation is a spirit-to-spirit -spirit thing that happens with God. That is God's spirit. Um, it's, it enables us to see what God sees. When God opens our eyes and we know the intent of our heart and the deepest thought within is the measure that he himself knows us, this is revelation. And I know each one of you can probably tell when all of a sudden God has just shown up and told you something that you... And you're like... Oh, or gives you a key to your healing or a key to your deliverance 
where he shows you or he brings you back to something where you've opened the door and this is why you've been afflicted or this is why you've been oppressed. That's revelation. It is a spirit-to-spirit encounter and we will never forget it. It's a God-given revelation. Is a, We just never will forget it because it's spirit-to-spirit. But soulish, you'll forget. You need to take notes. Can you remember it? Um, when, uh, in a moment, with a revelation, we can be healed. In a moment, life changes occurs. In a moment, we were sick, now we're healed. In a moment, we have, were blinded, deceived, and now we can see. In a moment, we were crippled, now we can walk. We were confused, and now we have clarity. We were dead in our sin, and now we're alive to live forevermore through salvation. And the list goes on and on when it's spirit to spirit. So we have gotten to differentiate between soulish power and the anointing. Uh, this is where Satan wants to deceive us. Uh, soulish power is what since Jezebel sent Elijah in a cave when he did one of his greatest exploits. It was that soulish power that sent him in fear and trembling. And again, I want to tell you that, you know, witchcraft is not somebody standing with a black pot stirring. It's intimidation, it's manipulation and control. Those are powers that the soul that Satan uses. And look, I had a grandmother, wonderful woman of God, but I'll tell you, she could manipulate us, whatever she wanted done. I mean, if her grass was a little, a fourth of an inch too long, grandma would be like, I really would like to see my grass cut. You know, she had that manipulation and being the widow and and we would move and go get the grass cut. You know, those kinds of things. So manipulation, intimidation, and control come in many, many forms, and that's for another time. But I'm telling you, those are the three characteristics of witchcraft. And I know none of you have ever moved in any of that. Uh-huh. And just like my father, my father was a very strong personality, very strong will. But I'm going to tell you that, that saying that we have, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. My dad, we would could feel it before he even drove up in the driveway as children. And it would be so thick that, you know, we would cowered under that soulish power. If you've ever worked for a boss uh, that's, uh, that moves in that soulish power and you can never please him, I mean, you can feel. They don't have to say anything. They can just walk in the building and you can feel it. That's soulish power. I mean, it feels evil. It's heavy. It blankets you. It's soulish power. Um, this is why last week I taught on psychic soul reading and the church calling it prophecy. I mean, we've got some scary things that are happening, and they've been happening, but no one's, you know, doing these solid teachings where we can discern. And uh, I often think about Jonathan Edwards. Okay, so Jonathan Edwards was the one who was really a catalyst for the Great Awakening way back in the end. But he spoke in monotone. The man spoke a complete sermon and the name of the sermon was sinners in the hand of an angry god people ran to the altar i mean ran and i mean he would put you to sleep with his monotone voice but here's the thing this man had gone through hell okay this man had um had had uh, illness he had conflicts with powerful personal he'd been fired from a church he had had he had problems with his language this man had overcome so many difficulties that by the time he got to that one sermon it had to be the alabaster box was broke and that one monotone sermon people were running when you think about Catherine Coleman I believe with Catherine Coleman, that was a price. Like she said, it'll cost you everything. It cost her everything. Even the one man that she fell in love with and married, she had to divorce him because the anointing had lifted off her life. So there could be no one. I mean, God wanted her totally separate to himself. And she knew that. She had simple messages about the Holy Spirit. And what happened People were healed by the thousands. Peter walking past people, his shadow. That's the anointing. His soul had t definitely been killed. Um, and I'm sure that's why, I guess, you know, you think about James, the brother of G being boiled in oil. Well, I guess if you're pure anointing, I guess you can survive anything. I don't know. But we cannot be dumb sheep in this hour. We cannot be dumb sheep. We will be led to the, to the slaughter. Wolves are among us and in full display. Uh, so we must be able to discern. So 
And often what we discern because we lack knowledge, we just use terms and we do not rightly divide. And then some of the areas I'm going to hit us with today, uh, even myself, don't think I haven't been provoked in all of these areas, um, so that we can have it be a tool and understand what is truth. We don't want to label things and actually be putting witchcraft on other people because we don't have understanding or we're confused. So many times people can false prophesy, but it doesn't mean they're a false prophet. And I'm going to hit that today because it needs to be hit because um, too often we use these labels and we can't compare Old Testament prophets with New Testament prophets because now we have the Holy Ghost. It's a whole different thing. The New Testament prophet is underneath the church and the leadership of the church. Old Testament were God and the prophet. And they were the oracle of God. So it's a little bit different now under New Testament being filled with the Holy Spirit. So often we have the soul and the spirit mixed. And that's what we've got to understand. You've got a strong soul and you haven't been broken. Then sometimes our spirit is cloaked in that. And sometimes we'll know, well, I felt that was right. Mm, that wasn't right. You know, so if you have this understanding that our spirit is cloaked in our soul, then sometimes if the soul's not completely broken, we'll have mixture. But we've got to be able to divide. It's not, oh, they're a false prophet. No, God's doing a work in them. They need a little bit more, you know, fire kicked up. Okay? So, again, uh, I said it last week. I'll say it again. The fruit of the Spirit comes from what? The breaking of the outer man. What are we to be? We are to be fruit inspectors. We are not to be enamored by gifts. That's where we'll get deceived. We need to be looking for what? We love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And how do we do that? we got to walk with people. I mean, because the enemy is a deceiver. But I promise you, a crooked picture can only hang straight on the wall so long. I'm going to tell you, with time, things will be revealed. And I'm not saying we don't all have character issues. We're all a work in progress. I'm still going through healing. I'm still going through deliverance. God is still revealing things that need to be cleaned up in my life. But with somebody's professing to be a mature son or daughter of God and coming into the body of Christ, I want to see this fruit. I want to see it in their home. I want to see it in their walk. I want to make sure they're integrous. I want to see the fruit of the Spirit. I don't care if they cast demons out. Witches cast demons out. I mean, who cares? I mean, signs, wonders, and miracles, again, I mentioned last week, don't matter whether it's Moses and Janus and Jambres. It don't matter whether we hear, you know, we hear all about Balaam could really truly prophesy where God wouldn't let him prophesy over Israel, curse Israel. So these things are real. But we've got to be, again, wise as a serpent. And, um, and what? They all mock the gifts. The false mocks the gifts. So, here's some deep things. God desires not only to break down the outward man, but also to separate that the inward man may no longer be entangled in the outward man. God wants to divide our spirit from our soul. Usually whenever our spirit comes forth, so does our soul. So that's why we feel mixture sometimes. Their, uh, so that that neglect this through their work may be done. Okay, so you might do something real powerful, but if your soul is impure, you will destroy the very thing that you've done. Our soul is impure. I, again, who can know our heart? Only God can know our heart. It's deceitful. They may truly possess the power of God because the spirit is mixed. They're destroying what they have built. People will believe that as long as they receive power from God, all their natural abilities will be owned by him. That is not true. The more we know God, the more we know and love a pure spirit. You know, there's nothing good in us but the righteousness of the Lord. That's true. So the outward man needs to be broken for the spirit to be released. But when the spirit comes forth, it must not be clouded by the outward man. That's what we're having. We're having a mixture. It's clouded. Our strongest part... Our strongest point would be the point that touches others. But remember, only the spirit changes. What kind, of, uh, what kind of touch is it? Is it spirit or is it so? Is it the outward man or is it the inward man? Impurity is the biggest problem in the lives of God's servants. We can have a stubborn soul yet a meek spirit. We can have the Holy Spirit yet the flesh all within one person. Hello, it's all of us. 
For God to use us as a minister of his word, for you to be his mouthpiece, you must seek, oh God, do a work in me. Break, divide my outer man, and let my spirit come forward. I think that needs to be always before we get before God's people or we minister. God, don't let it be my soul. Let my spirit come forward. Let it be spirit to spirit. Whatever you're working on on my soul, you know, let it be spirit-led. Um, our spirit is released according to the degree of our brokenness. That's Ouch. Good. That's good. No wonder Paul was imprisoned and wrote his best works. Our spirit is released according to the degree of our brokenness. But again, you've got to allow that brokenness. You've got to say, what are you trying to teach me, Lord? The measure of your service is determined by the degree of discipline and brokenness. Human emotions and cleverness cannot bring life change through Jesus. It might sound good. You might draw a crowd. But are you going to really change them? For whatever is untouched in us will be left untouched in others. I'm going to say that again. Whatever is untouched in us will be left untouched in others. We cannot help others to learn lessons which we ourselves have not learned before God. The more we spare ourselves, protect ourselves, our pride, our unhappiness, the less our usefulness. If we have covered these things in ourselves, we cannot uncover them in others. The more transparent we are, the more God can use us. So again, let's revisit the gifts in the psychic soul reading versus prophecy. I'm going to go through that again. I did last night, but I'm going to hit it again. Because again, we got to know the difference. Which of us has not sat down with a friend and known instinctively that something was wrong despite the smiles and the jokes? To accurately perceive what is in the heart of another person does not make us prophetic. It makes us human. The more alive we become in our spirits, the more alert and sensitive we become to the hearts of those around us. And this is our birthright as a person created in God's image until and unless cultural influences or spiritual and emotional wounds cripple us. This is why our, our soul will again cloud those kinds of things. But some of us seem to be prodigies at sensing the hearts of others. I want to tell you, if you're gifted with the gift of mercy... That redemptive gift in your soul and that redemptive, naturally, the gift of compassion and mercy can read another person's heart. Don't matter whether they have plastic faces and they look like they're all together. Mercy can look right through and tell that that person's wounded. So that's just a natural gift. Um, some seem, again, but what do we do? We label those people as prophet. If they're real sensitive and they're real discerning about what's going on with somebody, we automatically call them a prophet. But could we be in error with this? We could be. We could very much be in error. So we exalt people who possess this innate sense to the status of prophet, thinking that they would know what they know from the hearts and the lives of others only if God told them. Not so. We need only to be fully alive in our spirits and any of us can sense these things and any of us can learn to sense those things better as we come more alive in our spirit. So the truth is, the more this is broken, the more we're going to be able to meet people spirit to spirit. And we're going to be able to tell things about them. But that doesn't mean we're a prophet. So we've got to be careful with the psychic soul reading. Uh, and remember, I said this is you know, very dangerous. Trouble comes when we believe we're being prophetic and we sense the ambition, desire, and the hope in the heart of another. And we assume that it must be something God is saying. And then we present it as prophecy and we confirm it. People have ambition and they have something they feel like they're to do and they're going to do. And they may be completely out of the timing of God. But if you discern that and you begin to prophesy like a prophet their ambition, then what you've done is you've actually got them on a path that maybe they're out of timing or um, too soon or maybe it's not God's heart for them at all. So what have you really done? That's serious. You know, that is very serious that we can read somebody's ambition in their heart and then we can prophesy it back to them. Okay, have I, have I rattled y'all some? All right, 
Okay, I think that's what I'm called to do. Okay, so in 1 Kings 22, 400 prophets sensed the desire of the king Ahab and Jehoshaphat to go to war and reflected it back to them as a prophetic word from God, assuring that they would have victory. That's a scary thing, isn't it? Apparently only Micah had the capacity through his what? Intimacy with the Lord to discern the difference between the desire in the heart of the kings and the true heart of God. He warned them not to go and they threw him in jail for his unwillingness to tell them what they wanted to hear in the ensuing battle Ahab was killed. All because of a failure to understand the difference between a sanctified psychic reading of the hearts of men and the true word of the Lord flowing from an intimate relationship from Micah. Now, if that was going on then, is it going on now? Absolutely. You know, I'll tell you a story. You know, I like these stories. Okay, so they had a prophet that came to town several years ago, and he was really a prophet, okay? And he visited this church at least once a year. He was from Australia anyway, and everybody got excited when he came. Well, this one particular year, he came and he drove up through Starbucks where my nephew, um, Nikki, Andy's brother worked. And he's coming through the drive-thru and at that time, the church he's ministering at, Stuart was a member of, you know, their daddy. And so he drives through and, and uh, Nicholas is handing him his coffee and he begins to say, hey, you need to come tonight. And he starts telling him, you know, I'm a prophet, I'm here from Australia and I'm ministering at this church. And he goes, well, my dad goes to that church. Okay, we'll come tonight. So he goes. And, um, and he brings a girl that he just met. They just had started talking, and he brings her. And this prophet calls him and her up and begins to prophesy how they're to be together and all this stuff. And then two years later, Nicholas is in the bed of sexual sin. He's going the way of the harlotry. He was on a great path. And then we're sitting around not knowing what to do. We had prayed our hearts out. And then we're sitting at Christmas with Andy and Stuart. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit said he was false prophesied over. And we were able to pray and break the power of those words. My nephew was released. He's now married to a godly woman. Just had his first baby. Went to school to be an Aryan. Complete change. Within two weeks, he had been enwrapped with a false prophecy. Now, was this man a false prophet? This is what I would say is truth. This man was going through the fire. He made his living traveling financially. I believe he was in the fire and God was trying to kill the flesh in some areas. And instead of submitting and relying on God, and all of us are guilty of this, I think he felt like he still had to travel because he had to pay the bills. And you know, I mean, we're guilty of that. But what does that do? That's an idol of, you know, uh, I'm almost prostituting the gift. So instead of sitting his behind down while he was in the fire, he continued to travel. So later on, I come to find out that he was in the fire of affliction. He was having many personal struggles. Truth is, he should have stayed in Australia and let God have his work and trust God for his finances. And he shouldn't have been on the road traveling. And so what did he do? I don't think he's a false prophet. I think he false prophesied and that he got into some error. can happen to any of us. But we've got to be able to rightly discern. Did it cost my nephew two years of sexual sin? Yes. But I wouldn't have this story if he wouldn't have walked through it, right? Um, so how do you judge prophecy? I'm going to go through this quickly because there's some place I want to go to. There are, there are ways to judge prophecy. Thessalonians 5, 19, 21, um, it says, Do not quench the spirit. Do not, you know, despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Number one, does it edify? It has to edify. That's 1 Corinthians 14, 3. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. It should be a comfort to believers. It should not be negative, destructive, and condescending. That's New Testament prophecy. Number two, does it agree with Scripture? It always has to agree with Scripture. That's 2 Timothy 3.16. 
All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Does it glorify Jesus? Number three. John 16, 13, 14. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come, and he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and, um, and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit always glorifies the Lord Jesus. Does it bear good fruit? Romans 14, 17, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Five, did it come true? If it contains predictions about the future which are not fulfilled, then it did not come from God. Okay, they missed it. Have you ever gotten a word in five days? I always cringe when I hear that. Seven days. You know, I'm like, I want to go back to that person. What happened? Did anything happen? Ah, I don't, ooh, yeah, 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 I don't like that five days, one month, uh-uh. Does it encourage obedience to God? Remember, true prophecy will never promote disobedience to God or the Word of God. Never, ever, ever. Does it bring a sense of freedom? Does it bring peace? Does it bring confidence? 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is what? Liberty. The Holy Spirit does not produce bondage, confusion, and fear. Does it bring fresh life? 2 Corinthians 3, 6, but the Spirit gives life. I'll always inject fresh life into a person or a meeting, and it will harmonize and give God an overall, you know, that's the overall purpose is to bring life. Does your spirit bear witness? That's another thing. Does your spirit bear witness with the word? John 2, 27. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and just as it is as taught you, you will abide in him. When you walk in the spirit, there's an awareness within us what bears witness and what is we know. We just know. we got the same Holy Ghost. So somebody comes and gives you a word in left field, you won't know it's a word from left field. You're not going to bear witness with it. And what did I say last week? When you're truly touched by a true prophet and true prophecy, it will be life-changing. You will truly be undone. And God will confirm it. And you won't be the same, sometimes for several days. Um, I want to tell you all a story. There's a, a prophet that I, I love now. I wasn't so happy with him back in the time of Trump where everybody was prophesying that and his name's Jeremiah Johnson. And I was really mad at him. And I was like, I was done with him. Uh, but during that time, he had a dream. And he had a three-part dream. He dreamed that the Dodgers were going to win the World Series. He dreamed that Amy Conan Barrett would be elected to the, the Supreme Court. And then the third part of that dream was that Trump would be uh, reelected. So he gives the prophecies that time he had a major ministry and he got all of them right but the last one and what he did is the Holy Spirit he dismantled his entire ministry and again that last portion he got wrong he wrote a letter of apology to the body of Christ well you know nine prophets out of ten got it wrong too but he, being a man of integrity, really completely dismantled his whole ministry and, and, and apologized. Well, what happened is all hell broke loose for him. I say people came against him. He had death threats. The hell that was unleashed against him of being an integrous prophet and saying, Hey, guys, I missed it. He completely vanished off the scene and has just recently come back. And he did this amazing teaching um, because, again, he was called a false prophet. And so he wanted to bring clarity to the body of Christ. And, you know, everybody goes to Deuteronomy 13. Again, we're talking about Old Testament. 
And that's a long scripture that says, If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a sign or a wonder, and if the sign or wonder uh, spoke of takes place, and the prophet says, Let us follow other gods and let us worship them, then you must not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord God you must follow and him that you must revere. Keep his commands and obey him. Serve him and hold fast to him. That prophet dreamer must be put to death for inciting rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the Lord of slavery. That prophet or dreamer tried to turn you from the way of the Lord. And your God commands you to follow that you must purge the evil from among you. That's a strong word, isn't it? Stone them, kill them, get them out. Deuteronomy 13. Okay, so, so what he's saying is most people go back to Old Testament. And, um, and when things don't come to pass, they will quote Deuteronomy 13 as a reason why they should stone people who do not prophesy accurately. But if you go back and really study scripture, there are always motives and agendas. There are the false prophets are actually leading people to worship other gods. False prophets are leading a rebellion against God. And this is why we've got to narrow it down. So we have to break that down from someone to actually be a false prophet in the Old Testament are people who lead rebellions against God. They're not people who say things are going to happen, and they don't. So let's introduce correct truths and have real language to where now in the New Testament that we're not so quick to call someone a false prophet. There are, again, people who prophesy falsely. There can be people who have a prophetic anointing on their lives. Let's say tomorrow we're going to go outside and God said bring your umbrella because it's going to rain and it doesn't rain. That does not mean they're a false prophet. That means they missed it. You know, and one of the things he's saying, I'd much rather someone who's trying to move in God and hearing from God and stepping out and misses it than someone who's too fearful and sits on the pew and won't move. And that's truth. So we need to rejoice in that. But we need to know the difference. That if they're not leading a coup against God, if they are not going against the Bible, and I'll give that like signs of a modern day false prophet would be what they say doesn't line up with God's word. A false prophet is one who refuses to call out sin. It's God, we got to be careful. Even these people who have platform, they're not dealing with sin there's always going to be repentance if you're moving in, the, in, in, in God in the right way. They don't believe in hell or the need for repentance. They don't believe Jesus is the only way. And he is the only way. They do not believe that the word of God is infallible. They'll say that the Bible contradicts itself. These are the things where we need to really know the word of God. But one of the things that he says is he says that we so flippantly use the term in the body of Christ wrongly and unbiblically, and we need clarity that if this person maybe missed it, let's give them grace. But let's not start calling them a false prophet because what we're doing, we're actually and we are actually um, enwrapping them in witchcraft. They just false prophesied. But then again, one of the things too, Matthew 24, 11 says, many false prophets will arise. And we all know we've lived in the time of Charlie Manson and Jim Jones and David Koresh and Heaven's Gate, Warren Jeffs and the fundamentalist church, the Mormon pedophile. Um, and one of the first things that happened with the laying on the hands of Paul and Barnabas, what happened? The first missionary journey, what did they do? They encounter a false prophet. And you can expect that. And we, just like last week when I showed that with the prophet Lovey, you know, saying he doesn't have to, you know, fast and pray to cast out demons. That's a red flag if you know the, because if Jesus said some only come out that way, that's heresy. So that's going to be a red flag right there. So when Paul, um, one of the things that happened with the false prophet that they encountered was seeking to turn the pro-counsel from the faith. Paul put his gaze upon him. You're full of deceit. You're a fraud, and you are the son of the devil. You're the enemy of righteousness. That's some of what Veronica's doing. She's standing up online 
coming against some of these things that are heresy. And we have to. I mean, we really do have to call it out. But the New Testament is pretty clear uh, about false prophets operating in counterfeit power. Magicians, I hit that last week. What are magicians? They create illusions to do what? To deceive us. Uh, and they draw people to themselves. False prophets will draw people to themselves. And many times, what's it about? Mammon. Y'all have heard me talk about that false prophet that, and I call him false prophet that was all in orange. And, you know, he dressed like a bellhop. I mean, he had those, I'm not kidding you, he had colored suits like bright blue with the tails. And, um, and he was packing the house out. And I, I just ended up in bed because I, I just I had so much discernment on him, and yet all these people were coming. I mean, I remember the little uh, church, uh, what was it, uh, Lighthouse Tabernacle. People were at the windows watching because there was no room in the house for them. And um, and he was prophesying. Well, years later, I mean, I I, I just had discernment, just great discernment. And he do like this, and I'd be like, well, why would you have to do it like that if God's speaking to you, through you? Well, it's a familiar spirit. He's listening. <laughs> yeah, hello. And, and anyway, he ended up coming out later that he was milking the widows. Some of my friends, some of my friends were giving big time to him. It all finally came out. I mean, he was a farce. He was a fake. So you want to see, are they drawing people to themselves? Uh, in Revelations, we know that the false prophet's going to operate in counterfeit gifts, signs, and wonders. Again, what have I said for the last two weeks? You better be fruit inspectors. You better not be enamored by the gifts. Because anybody can operate in the gifts and, and by the wrong spirit and do signs, wonders, and miracles. So I'm saying today as I close, today's an opportunity where we may have missed it. I've had to say, God, I've missed it. I didn't fully understand and if I've called someone a false prophet because their prophecy didn't come to pass, and yet they were not leading a rebellion and they really loved you, they just missed it. And Lord, forgive me for missing it. I've missed it. Um, then let's get clear in what we say and how we say it. Sometimes we just say that wasn't a real word. And it could be, again, what I said about their soul. Their soul hadn't been broken. You're going to have mixture. This is why I love giving exhortations and prophecies, and I don't know who they're going to. Like that gift that God moves through me to give you words, but I do it to where I don't know who it's about because my soul's strong. And if I know you and love you, I, sometimes my soul's going to get mixed in there with the spirit. I'd much rather be counseling somebody and all of a sudden, and that happens a lot with me with the gift of counsel, is all of a sudden I'll get a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom and it'll just start flowing and then I'll start prophesying in that setting. But I can remember being in a church in Port Arthur and one of the pastors call us up and he would want us instant. It's called popcorn prophecy, where he would say, okay, prophesy, Kim. And uh, it would make me very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And now I realize I was psychic soul reading, and so I've had to repent for that. Um, and we're calling it prophecy because prophecy surprises me. Sometimes I'll be ministering to somebody or like when we minister to one another, and all of a sudden something will come up or I'll have a vision, and then God will, it's, it's a wonderful and life-giving but again that psychic soul reading let me pull somebody up and just begin to read their soul and that's not life-giving and so i'm just saying i'm not saying there aren't some people who can do that kim clements could pull you up and give you your address he could tell you specifics but listen that's a unique gift not very many people operate in that and so i'm just saying let's discern error from truth and let's begin to, you know, put more tools in our tool belt and not say, oh, they're a false prophet. Okay, well, they false prophesied, but they're not leading me away from God. And let us be clear in what we're watching to see pastors, preachers, are they teaching on sin? Are they teaching on repentance? You know, is there always a feel-good message and there's never, you know, turn away from your sin and, you know, fall on the face of, the, you know, on, on the altar and get yourself cleaned up, you know? So we've got to... Again, it's a balance. You know, an imbalance to the Lord's an abomination. Well, we've got to be balanced and we've got to have the tools so that we can discern correctly so we're not deceived. So I'm going to lead us to repentance. So if we've made any words that were wrong, um, 
then today's the day corporately that God can unwrap anyone from that. Yes. Intimidation, manipulation, and control. And they don't necessarily have to be a witch. They could be your best friend. They could be your boss. They could be your mama. They could be yourself. <laughs> it's not anything that I've had to struggle with, I assure you. Don't you say a word. Your mama ain't happy. Ain't nobody happy. But you know, um, yeah. So revelation. I want to. I'm, I'm going to touch this. I had something happen this week that I'm going to share with you, because again, if it can help you, those revelation. Like I tell you, I haven't arrived. And one of the things that happened is that Stephanie and I met up here this week, and I got this great revelation. And those things were. God himself just shows up and gives you a key. Um, I've just been feeling almost like even going into the release in the spirit, I felt cloaked, like real, real heavy, almost like a heavy garment on me. I'm like, I want to feel God. I want my spirit to be able to touch God. But I felt like this heavy garment on me. And um, so we came up here and we started worshiping. And I was just, I could feel myself like I got to break this off. It just felt like a... Um, uh, a cloak of iron and then through God a revelation came forth and I realized that that I hate the summertime <laughs> yes I hate the summertime now I want you to understand that God created the summer God created the summer in all his glory summertime's a wonderful time but what had happened as a child summers in my childhood were terrible because my parents got into more sin, and they didn't do a lot with us children. So we were extremely bored in the summertime and extremely sad and lonely. And so as a young uh, teenager, that's when I got in my most sin was in the summertime because, of course, we're not going to school. So what happened, it accumulated. So it was a time, a defilement of sin from my parents, trauma bond for me, and then I went into sin, and then I began to say, oh, I hate the summer. I hate the summer. Oh, I just, I'm so burdened with the summer. And I'm going to tell you, I got completely released from that when I began to repent, and I mean, I began to cry, and like Stephanie began to say, well, you're an exhorter, and we didn't go anywhere or do anything, and, and as a child, I'm a people person, and for the way it was in my home, not to be around people was like death for me. And so summertime, in the places that I defiled the time, in sexual sin and drugs and all the things that I did in the summer, had completely, was able for the enemy to cloak my soul with this heavy garment. And so when I was able to repent for the agreement that I had come, for the trauma that had happened, I was able to repent, and that thing completely lifted off of me. And that's the power of revelation. Sometimes we don't realize what we do. I just know God's heavy. Man, I'm not feeling God. And that's what it was. But this summer, God wanted that cloak off of me, uh, and I had put it on myself with agreements with the enemy and the sin that I was in. So I'm challenging you. If that's you in any area of your life where there's a season that you particularly don't do well in or you've come into agreement against, it's probably the season that God wants to bless you the most and bring forth the most abundant fruit. So come out of that agreement and ask God to cleanse that timeline. So, so Father, I thank you as we come together to iron sharpen iron. Father, I ask that everything that's been taught today, Father, help us to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. And Father, help us, God, to rightly divide that which is truth and which is error. Father, get, and help us to give grace to our fellow brother and sister, Lord, when they're stepping out in the gifts, and Lord, they're, they're prophesying. And Father, let us not label, even if it doesn't come to pass, or if there's mixture with their soul and mixture with their spirit. Father, let us give grace as you've given us grace. And Father, let us not label them. And Lord, we ask today corporately, if there be any place that we've labeled someone a false prophet, Father, we're asking right now that you forgive us. And Father, you unwrap those people, Father, from any cords of witchcraft or any kind of words that brought death 
or brought, you know, Father, uh, made a path crooked for them because of the power of our words. Father, we're asking you today to be a day of release. And Father, we ask if there be any place where people have called us those things. Father, we forgive them and we ask that those cords of, of um, heaviness and witchcraft be broken off, off of us. But Father, help us to study to show ourselves approved. Help us to not be deceived by, Lord, of knowing your word and understanding your word. And, Father, uh, thank you for the way you created us and the diversity of the way you created us. And let us understand the deep calling to deep. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Restoration Church Podcast. If you would like to watch our message live or looking for more information about our church, visit us, follow us on Facebook, Restoration Church.